welcome to Books Unbound Podcast, the podcast where we unbind books to get to their hearts. With your hosts, me, it's Ariel, and me, Raylene. Oh, man. You know, Raylene, <laughs> we took we took a couple weeks off of the podcast, and I really did miss it. And every time that we record them now, I feel good. I feel like I'm at home. It's nice to yeah. be back with everyone. It's a good place to be. Um... So today we're doing our updates episode where we talk about the things we've been reading, book news, etc. I'm excited to get into it. I'm excited to tell you what I've been reading because it's strange. <laughs> well, it's unexpected. Um, so yes, let's start off. I'm trying to remember what we said. We said we would start off with what was the last book you finished, right? That's, yeah. That, that makes sense chronologically. I think so. All right, what have you finished since the last episode? Um, nothing, but <laughs> I had an idea because there was so... <laughs> I have an alternate plan. Um, <laughs> there were so many books that I read at the end of July and in August that I haven't talked about. So I was like, yes. I'll just review one of those. <gasps> That's I, smart. I thought I'd do a throwback. So a book that I read at the end of July... Um, and really enjoyed was Convenience Store Woman by Sayaka Murata. Right. And we've talked about this a bit before because you yes. kind of recommended it lukewarmly. It's one of those books that you didn't love but kind of it enjoyed. It was one of those. Th yes, I enjoyed it. I didn't personally love it. I found mm -hmm. it very interesting. And it was one of those things where I was like, I think some people could love it. But it wasn't exactly my Yeah, like I really, really enjoyed it. It was, yeah. there was just like a little piece that was missing for it to be a five-star read. But it was like really close to that for me um mm. i just found it to be so bizarre and interesting and um for those who don't know it's about this woman who has been working in a convenience store since she was 18 and she's now in her mid-30s and so people in her life are kind of like do you have any other aspirations do you have any other yes. goals like is there anything you want to do with your life and she's like no i'm happy like the convenience store is my life i get all my food here it's basically where i have like all the people i know yeah. are here like it's just her whole world which i found to be very interesting because also i mm -hmm. found out after reading it that the author had a similar experience she worked in a convenience store for 18 years as well so what? yeah i didn't know that yeah so it's not completely autobiographical but i definitely think right. it has like some grains of truth to it because i'm sure she went through the oh same kind God. of scrutiny and like just had lots of similar experiences probably so obviously though the core difference is that the character in convenience store woman mm. had absolutely no ambition to do anything yeah. else. <laughs> whereas clearly the author of the book was spending her time in the convenience store thinking about a novel yeah do you know what i mean that's there is a key difference mm -hmm. between the, and i guess that's really interesting though really i think that um I do think that we need to be careful about separating characters from authors. Um, like, just because some aspects are, are autobiographical doesn't mean they all are, and people can start to make assumptions, and I think... I think that that's one of the cool things about art, right? Is mm -hmm. separating everything and being like, this is fiction, this is abstract, this is new, this is this is a conglomeration or whatever. Mm -hmm. You don't know what parts are real and what parts aren't. But it does add a real level of intrigue and it makes me think. It really makes me think, really. Now, whenever I think about that book, I'm going to think about the author who's just like been working at this convenience store for 18 years and every day she wakes up, she goes to the convenience store and she thinks about a novel. She thinks about, like, what if I never left? What if I didn't want to leave? What would I be like? Yeah. And then wrote that book. That's so interesting. Right. It's kind of like, where does, like, the real person split off and, like, become yes. the fictional character? It's kind of exactly it's something interesting to think about. I feel like there are lots of books like that, that if you d dig a little deeper, it's like, oh, the author had this exact same experience, but obviously it was different because this isn't a biography. <laughs> yes, but that is really, really interesting. Cool. Do you have any other thoughts on that book? I don't know. That that author has that new book that just came out. Oh, really? Right? I didn't know that. Is it called Halflings? Um, Earthlings. I think it's called Halflings? Earthlings. What's it called? Well, there's a book Earthlings. called Earthlings. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, yes, Earthlings. It has a very great cover. Oh, it's great. Of this, it's got a little like, hedgehog a, on it. A little hedgehog floating in space. 
but I don't know what it's about and I haven't really heard people talking about it. Yeah. This is a book we should hear. Here's the synopsis for everyone. Um, all right. Natsuki isn't like the other girls. She has a wand and a transformation mirror. Um, is she Sailor Moon? How have we not read this? She might be a witch or an alien from another planet. Together with her cousin Yu, Natsuki spends her summers in the wild mountains of Nagano, dreaming of other worlds. When a terrible sequence of events threatens to part the two children forever, they make a promise. Survive no matter what. Now Natsuki is grown. She lives a quiet life with her asexual husband, surviving as best she can by pretending to be normal. But the demands of Natsuki's family are increasing. Her friends wonder why she's still not pregnant. That's similar to convenience store woman. Mm -hmm. um, and dark shadows from Natsuki's childhood are pursuing her. Fleeing the suburbs for the mountains of her childhood, Natsuki prepares herself with a reunion with you. Will he still remember their promise? And will he help her keep it? What the heck? That sounds what? so good. <laughs> this actually sounds phenomenal. It um and it's short. It's only two hundred and fifty six pages, which was one of the big things that drew me to convenience store women. And honestly, that I think draws me to Japanese and Korean fiction. Yeah, they're often short, much shorter than the novels we're used to in the West. Yeah, I agree with that. And I feel like they managed to pack in, you know, like a full, fully realized story. It's never like they're like, oh, I didn't get enough. They always feel like just the right yeah. amount, no matter yes, the length. Yes, I agree. I agree. Wow. <sighs> well, I'm going through the reviews. There's, you know, there's a lot of people who gave it three stars, and the, but the, there is a lot of people giving it five stars. So I think we've got to try that one out. I think so, too. It's on my Gosh. radar now. Have you read anything? Or finished anything? Well, I haven't finished anything. <laughs> Damn it. I really wanted to. Ah, really? I really <laughs> wanted to. I wanted to come on here, but I wanted to impress my friends. Uh, mm -hmm. But no, I didn't finish anything. So, um, I'll tell you what I almost finished. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is Intimations by Zadie Smith. Oh. Six essays. Um, so, have you heard of this boy? No. I know, me neither. So <laughs> I I don't remember where I first saw it, if I saw some article about it having come out or maybe I just saw it on Instagram or something. But listen to this. Um, deeply personal and powerfully moving, a short and timely series of reflective essays by one of the most clear-sighted and essential writers of our time. So, okay, that's just pitching any, that's what mm -hmm. any essay collection would say. But then this is what made me buy it. Written during the early months of lockdown. Intimations explores ideas, feelings, and questions prompted by an unprecedented situation. What does it mean to submit to a new reality or to resist it? How do we compare relative sufferings? Blah, blah, blah. So she wrote this book in like April, May, what the June heck? That's cool. time and then edited it for a few months, obviously, and then it got published just now. So this is like the first lockdown book mm -hmm. of what is obviously going to become a massive genre in in our in our time i think i mean uh, have you, I, I mean that. yeah yeah i'm writing one we're all writing one <laughs> um but it's it's very interesting i'm enjoying it i'm not loving it i have to be honest i think why i'm not loving it is because it is sort of about the lockdown but it's sort of not about the lockdown mm. clearly it's like some ideas that she had had before the lockdown one of the essays it's really cool i wouldn't call it an essay but one of the essays is like eight different vignettes of people she's seen oh. so one of them is called like um so the, the whole essay is called screen grabs and one of them is called A Man With Strong Hands. And it's about her masseuse that she oh. sees every other day. And one of them is called A Hovering Young Man. It's about a guy who she always sees on a hoverboard. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that one, you know, it's sort of about the pandemic in that it's about, like, compassion and about how other people see the... How the other people see... Like, okay, there was this one... Let me see. What I, I yeah, this one was probably my favorite. Uh, well, no, there was two really good ones. Ha! How do I explain? Okay, so there's one called Suffering Like Mel Gibson. And I was like, whoa, where the hell's that one gonna go? And she says that she was sent a meme <laughs> um, that I haven't seen, but I can very clearly imagine. Mm -hmm. It says, um, the meme is like Mel Gibson sitting in a director's chair yeah. and Jesus Christ sitting in a director's chair from when they were filming um, Passion of the Christ. Oh, yeah. 
and you know jesus at that moment in filming was covered in blood and his rose uh, or his thorn crown and he's just like completely torn apart mel gibson looks clean enough because he's just the director and it was he the mel gibson is talking to jesus christ and uh the caption is when uh like when people that don't have kids complain about lockdown and it's so it's sort of about you know how m- people in lockdown that have multiple or i mean just even one child are like going through a whole different level yeah. of lockdown that people like you and i will never understand of course <laughs> um so you know she t- she thought about that and but it made her think about relative suffering about the idea of privilege and and how different people have different privilege mm-hmm. but privilege doesn't equate to suffering and it was so funny because this was literally a conversation that my boyfriend and I had been talking about the other day. We were oh. like, we were like literally just talking about it the day before I started this book. And we were talking about how, um, you know, privilege is, ch- it changes the way that people experience the pandemic for sure. Like some people have, act- especially in the States, because she lives in New York. So she talks about healthcare and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um in Canada or in the UK or in other countries, that's not so much a thing. Like everyone has access to healthcare here, but in the States, obviously there's this massive separation between how somebody that gets coronavirus is going to deal with it versus someone who doesn't have the same income, which mm-hmm. is just insane. Bonkers. Um, it is bonkers. <laughs> but yeah, she talks about how, you know, privilege does affect it, but it doesn't affect suffering, right? Like um, two people can be suffering and they can have like one can be really privileged but it doesn't mean they're not suffering Mm -hmm. like suffering is universal it's something that we all have in common and the pandemic in her like in her essay she's talking about how the pandemic has really brought everyone together in that suffering and that everyone is suffering in different ways so i thought that was really powerful and then the other one that i really liked was it was a story about this um i think it was part of a different essay but it was She was talking about this neighbor that she has who's like an older woman. You know, she's like 70 or 75 year old woman who's always lived in New York and has a little dog and goes for a walk every day. And everyone in the neighborhood knows Barbara and um, Barbara's dog that everyone hates. And Barbara (laughs) always goes for a smoke and a a baguette in the morning or not or like a like a croissant in the morning or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And she talks about how Barbara's like the epitome of like a New York woman. You know, who, like, doesn't have children and is a badass and is 70 but still goes to parties and (laughs) is just living the New Yorker lifestyle. Um, And how she's always been very, like, um, not, they don't, like, really do small talk, but but still Barbara's very friendly, like, always says hi, but doesn't, like, bother to talk about a lot. Yeah. But she had this one moment with Barbara where they actually talked a little bit and it was as Zadie Smith is trying to leave New York. And Barbara is saying, well, no, at least we all have each other. Everyone in the building will take care of one another. That's what being a New Yorker is. We stay and we take care of the city. And Zadie Smith is like, yeah, as she's leaving the city. (laughs) So it was like, it made her really think about, and I think this is something that I, I have a lot of friends who live in New York and many of them have left New York, which I probably would do if I Mm -hmm. could leave New York. Right. Um, a lot of people have been leaving New York and thinking about what does that mean? What does that make them? Are they abandoning something, etc.? Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you act in a moment of crisis? So it is very interesting and I am enjoying it. It's very short. Like, it's not 100 pages. It's 95 pages. Nice. It's six essays. I am enjoying it. I am not loving it, but I am taking something from it. And I am... It's... You know what? What I think my favorite part of it is, is... Reading someone who's very thoughtful, who is considering the pandemic, like the larger effects of the pandemic. It's just great to hear (laughs) not a tweet take, not a hot take, (laughs) not a random, like quickly written article, but like some thoughtful essays about what this pandemic is doing to us. Um, So, yeah. There was a whole section about banana bread. Oh, I was just going to ask if you've read any other Zadie Smith books. I have not. Neither and have I. you know, I have had NW by her on my bookshelves for approximately five years because it was one of the first books I bought when I studied abroad in England. Uh. I was like, I remember I was in London. I went to a bookshop and I saw it and I was like, Zadie Smith, I've heard lots about her. She's huge. I'll 
buy and read one of her books. Bought it, never read it. But reading this definitely makes me want to check out her books. Yeah, I bet her fiction would be really interesting just based on how thoughtful she is. (laughs) I also know that one of her books, and gosh, I forget which one it might be in w actually is about being mixed race hmm. so yet another reason for me to check it there out you go. um so i didn't finish that one but i, I literally i was so freaking close and i was like ah <laughs> oh, damn it i'll i can like i'll fin- i just need half an hour and i'll finish it yeah um but that's fine all right raylene what are you currently reading then i'm i have a guess you have a like guess but you don't know everything ah! <laughs> so i'm currently reading two books because okay. i have an audiobook on the go i'll first start with my physical book though i'm still reading one q84 but i just started the third volume <gasps> Yeah. Wow. This is the I'm so proud of you. I wish I could give you like a real a hearty <laughs> handshake cuz you're doing a good job over there. Yeah, like it's not hard to get through at all. It's despite it being a wow. very long book, like I'm now on page 773 and I haven't Jesus. gotten bored yet. Like I'm having a great time. I just want to keep reading it. Anytime I have a free moment, I'm like, let's read 1Q84. Like this book is simultaneously like uneventful and also very, very crazy at the same time. Mm. Like it's just like low key crazy. And mm. that's what I really like about it. Um, Cause it does have like kind of an alternate reality thing going on. That's why it's called one Q84. It takes place in 1984, but the main character kind of slips into a different version of 1984 and she okay. calls it one Q84 in her head. And um, so it's about her and then, Tango is the male main character and he, like I talked about last time I was talking about this book, he has gotten himself into a precarious situation where he needs to write something that is sketchy and he shouldn't be doing it. Um, Mm. And so the whole story kind of follows that. But then you kind of see how throughout the book, everything starts coming together. Like in part two, like in the second book was the most action packed one yet. Um, Everything starts coming together and you start seeing how everything is connected. And it's very fascinating for anybody who likes stuff that's kind of like, surreal and strange but all makes perfect sense at the same time this is the book so i'm so excited to hear all of that yeah i also that makes me think connor just read dune in three days what (laughs) i know that is a book that i'm like terrified of reading part of he he was telling me he's like part of the reason that he read it so fast is because he's read it three times before so he's like he really knows the story and the characters and everything so he's able to just plow through it instead of kind of having to go through trying Mm -hmm. to figure everything out but still that book is so huge and he read it in like three days and he was like it's just so exciting and i'm like (laughs) that sounds like what you're saying with iq84 or 1q84 just like even though it's so long it's got you. It's got you hooked. Yeah, like, I'm hooked. I definitely, I I have a feeling this might be, like, the best Murakami book. And I don't know if it was, like, the best thing for me to really start with. Because I feel like, how can anything be better than this? <laughs> like, Ooh. to me, this is, like, a masterpiece. This has got to be his best wow. book. But okay, I also that's very interesting. Yeah, but obviously, I've barely read any of his books, so I can't really say that definitively. But I just, I have a feeling. And one of my friends who's read lots of his books said that this is her favorite out of all of them. So Shoot. I'm like, <laughs> but it's okay. I have Kafka on the Shore and The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle, which are two of his other really popular ones. So I'll definitely give those a read and see where I land. But I am very impressed by this book. You'll be spending the rest of your your life trying to get that iq84 high i know i don't know if it'll work (laughs) okay here's a question why do some people myself included obviously sometimes call it iq84 i don't know man that's That's a thing though is it right i've i think it's people who don't understand what the book is about or haven't read it because when you've read it you can't think of it as iq84 because it's it's one q84 it is one q84 but like I've heard other people and myself say IQ84. I used to say it like, a long time ago. That's what yeah, I thought it was so called. So maybe it's just because when you read it, it kind of looks like maybe two letters, two numbers. Yeah. It rolls off the tongue better is. too. It does roll off the tongue better. Wow. Hmm. <laughs> well, anyway, what <laughs> was your surprise now you thing? Know. My surprise thing. Okay. So I'm listening to an audiobook. Um, I wanted to listen to something kind of spooky. And so, you just reminded me of something I'm going to have to tell you. That's oh, a interesting surprise. Very interesting surprise. So I am listening to this audiobook called The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. Have you heard mm. of this one? I've I've seen the cover yeah. just recently, actually. It's Is it been, new? Um, Kind of. It came out in this year, I think. Okay, okay. It's a pretty new horror book, but this author has written a bunch of books, so he's not a new author by any means, but this is just the first one I've read. And... It's, I, at first I didn't think it was going to be very scary, but it does have 
some definite spooky elements. It's about um, a group of Native American friends and one of them has left the reservation that they all kind of grew up on and live on. Mm -hmm. And so he's kind of separate from everyone. So the story follows him for most of the book. And basically something happened in like a couple of years before where they went onto land that they shouldn't have gone on and killed an elk that they <gasps> shouldn't have killed. And now the elk is hunt like haunting them basically so it's like animal oh spirit horror and it's kind of like ooh, it's unlike oh. anything i've ever read so it's like i don't know what's gonna happen next i don't know what this spirit is capable of um and that so yeah it's really good yeah it's very interesting and it highlights some you know ways that indigenous people are you know, not treated fairly, just like black people mm, in America. It's, of course, so of it's course. very interesting to read from that perspective because I haven't read a lot of books like that. And so it it's really interesting that it, it highlights that too, like how that is really, their interactions really with the police cool. aren't always good and stuff yes. like that. So I'm finding it very interesting and I definitely want to read more books like this. Yes, I think that that is so cool. I've just looked it up and it says that Stephen Graham Jones is a Blackfeet Native American mm -hmm. um, from West Texas. So that's really fascinating because you're totally right. As a person who lives in Canada, so I'm not American. Mm -hmm. I've never lived in America. I don't have any American relatives or anything. But as as just a Canadian, I've not ever heard Americans talk about native in native americans like indigenous no, right? peoples in america is much. not something you hear about very often and when you do hear about it it's usually bad like <laughs> yeah. like pocahontas or like um what's the name of that football team oh like the, red the ones with the racist yeah the like racist what the image? hell is yeah, that about? i hate that <laughs> why is that where, still around <laughs> where you're just like what is happening um but yeah um anyway that is so exciting i'm really excited to hear that you're yeah it's that really you're good enjoying and it yeah i'm like three hours away from finishing it so i'll probably have finished it by the next time we talk but yeah it's really good it's it's very different because i was just like i want to read something scary and all i have on my shelf is stephen king so like let's just branch out and find something else oh my god wait Guys, I have breaking news. What? <laughs> what is it? They are no longer called the Redskins. Oh, well, that's this good. This is so wonderful. Um, it happened this year, only in the last few months, because it said um, as part of a wave of racial name changes ah. in the wake of the George Floyd protests. So it's only happened in the last few months. And I guess in the madness of the, the last few months of the planet, I missed this wonderful news. Cause that will honestly, what are they called now? now? <laughs> They're now called the Washington football team. <laughs> that is perfect. It's perfect that's where they're from and that's what they do <laughs> they play football in washington well that's good because wow. i know that that's been an ongoing fight for a long time and just yes. no change has ever come so all no. it takes is you know terrible things happening to uh, <laughs> make know, change so happen it's great but that is so exciting well that's some good news you know what i feel like there's a lot of bad news all of the freaking time mm -hmm. that's some very good news um yeah their former branding was used from 1933 until 2019 like or partly Crazy. into 2020 that's so long wow that is too too long well i'm well, glad you looked awesome. that up I'm really i glad am you too that because up. that's wonderful news <laughs> um cool well i'm really glad that i actually if you end up enjoying that that is something that i could see myself picking up for like october time because it's scary and it sounds really cool very interesting mm -hmm. well what am i reading okay as I said, as you were talking, you mm -hmm. reminded me of something. <sighs> I have DNF'd a book. Now listen, mm. this does not happen to me often. No. What happens is that I forget about books and I just <laughs> yeah. never finish them. And I mean, people who listen to the podcast, I feel like this has been maybe even for you, Raylene, a real eye-opening experience into how I read. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because I'm like, wait, you were reading a book like four months ago and you never said you finished it. And you're like, oh yeah, I forgot I was reading that. <laughs> exactly. I just, you know what? That's me. What can I say? I do finish books. I just don't finish all the books that I start. But what that means is that usually, most of the time, I do mean to finish books. I just mm. got out of the mood for them. So I'll go back and finish them another time. But sometimes I make a decision 
to DNF a book. And it's very rare because it's never an active decision. For me, it's always like, oh, yeah, I guess I never finished that. But then no. Yeah. So this is a book that I have had on my shelves again for like four years. And it is Everything I Know About Love by Dolly Alderton. Oh. Have you heard of this one? It's no. an essay collection. It's British. It has a really, really good cover. I absolutely love the cover. Um, and I had heard back when it came out, I'd heard a few friends of mine like really raving about it mm -hmm. and it sounded really cool. So I picked it up, never read it. And then when I got Libby, do you remember like a couple months ago <laughs> yeah. or like a year ago now, I discovered Libby and I was like, holy shit, the audiobooks that I've always wanted are all here for free. I requested that book because that's a book I've been wanting to read forever. And I figured that the audiobook would be perfect because yeah. it's essays. It was written, it was read by the author, but it was literally like a four month wait. So I forgot all about it. Yeah. The other day, I finally got it. I got it on my on my phone. And I was like, oh, shoot, this is the kind of book that if I don't listen to it now, it's going to be another four months For sure. before I get the audiobook. So I was like, I have to kind of drop everything and just listen to this. So I've been having a lot of difficulty sleeping lately. <laughs> and I was up to like 4 a.m. a couple nights in a row. And I didn't know what to do. And so one of those nights, I was like... Oh, I could listen to the audiobook. Yeah. So I did. I listened to two and a half hours of the audiobook while drawing circles on a piece of paper because that's what John <laughs> Green told me to do. And I in a video and I was like drawing circles, listening to this audiobook, and I just was not connecting. Oh no. I was not connecting to the book. I don't think it's a bad book. I think it's pretty good. I just think it's not for me. Uh, that's that's it. It's it's an interesting collection about um it's a memoir, really. It's about Dolly Alderton growing up in London, um, but in the suburbs of London and how that affected her growing up. There was some funny stuff about how important MSN was to her and her mm. generation, and yeah. I really hardcore related to that. Um, there was some, you know, there were interesting bits and there were, there were funny bits, but just overall, I wasn't really loving it. I was just kind of a little bored throughout and, um, it did make me very like in a, in a nice way. It made me very nostalgic for London because she did talk about different areas right, and yeah. I'd be like, oh, I've been there. Oh, I've been there. Um, and like remembering my own memories there. That was nice. But she also is a very different person to me. Like, she, the, a lot of the book is about her partying, about her shenanigans while she's drunk and while she's out, like, mm -hmm. out every single night. And I'm like, that's just not me. <laughs> Relate. <laughs> and I'm not, I wasn't relating to most of it. So I DNF'd it. Good for That's, you. It's good to thanks, admit man. that. <laughs> yeah, it's good to do that sometimes. So... I DNF that book, but that's okay. I'm glad to know. I gave it, I think I gave it an honest chance, try. Cause then the next day I listened to another half hour of the book mm -hmm. and I, so overall I listened to like three hours of the audiobook, and I was like, that's, I think that's a fair shot. It's a big chunk. Well, what, All are right. you, what are you reading? I'm so excited to hear what you're reading. I am so excited to tell you that I am reading George Orwell, A Life, the <gasps> intensely giant biography <laughs> by Bernard Crick. Yes. Hell to the yes. So this actually has a really great cover, which I didn't just show Raylene. I, I think people know that when we record the episodes, we video call. Mm -hmm. And so I have a little a little Zoom chat window open here where Raylene and I are just talking to each other. But usually I show her the covers. But whenever I'm reading a dust jacket, I always take the dust jacket off. And so yeah. under the dust jacket, it's just like an old looking book. Yeah. You know, it's just brown. Like it, it's nice. it is nice, actually. It's very official looking. The top has red sprayed edges, but the sides don't. I love that. It's like, what does that mean? <laughs> um, it is. So this is a book that I got used, which is very rare for me. I don't usually buy books from used bookstores unless they're in like really good quality because otherwise it triggers my little uh, fear of antiques. Mm -hmm. But this one is like in perfect quality. Like clearly no one ever read it. And it's like complete. Every page looks brand new and everything, which is great. But anyway, the begin the when you open the page, it has an inscription, oh. which is my favorite. It says, Christmas 1980. To dearest Mala, I think that's what the name says. They wrote it in a weird font. <laughs> With love from us both, 
David and Linda. Beautiful. <laughs> the book came out in 1980, so they bought it as a new Brand release, new. Wow. and she never read it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Classic. So I was saying to Connor, I was like, I don't know what to read. I don't know what to read. And he's like, just read anything. Don't care what people think. Don't care what others are like asking you to read. Just read something that's going to make you happy. That's just you. And I was like, what's more me? than a George Orwell biography. Seriously. So I am only part, like, I'm six pages into chapter one because the introduction was freaking massive. The (laughs) massive introduction and technically didn't count as page numbers, which I hate. Yeah, that's rude. (laughs) You know, before they start the page numbers. So um, it's so good, though. It is so, so good. It it does have a little bit of of a... of a curve you know how like sometimes you read a book and it's so easy to read and sometimes you read a book and it's a little more challenging this mm-hmm. is a little more challenging for a few reasons number one written in the 70s he started it in 1974 didn't finish it until like 1979 and published in 80 so written in the 70s british very british mm. <laughs> third very academic like it's it's a he's a P, he's a professor at the university of Oh, shit. I forget what university. It doesn't matter. Um, But yeah, he's like a professor. So he's writing this as his academic work. So it it does read academic. Um, And then fourthly, it's, I don't know. It's just like, he's being very thorough. (laughs) (laughs) You get to know everything. He's being very (laughs) thorough. But I'm loving it. The introduction was very interesting because he's kind of laid out, why did I want to write a biography of George Orwell? Mm -hmm. What were my challenges? Um, And I think his biggest challenge was, oh yeah, Birkbeck College, University of London. There, there it says. Um, But I think his, his biggest challenge he was saying was like, not putting his own emotions into it and not <laughs> yeah. making judgment calls about Orwell's life or his decisions oh, or his so writing. He's very much just like telling a story without kind of. But at the same opinion. time, he literally talks about that. He's like, but at the same time, I don't like it when historians write biographies that are too objective. Yeah. He's like, because people's lives aren't very objective. They do have emotion. He's like, so I do try and put a little bit of that in. And I'm like, all right, man, I believe you. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. There was this one line, this one line that I like really loved. Hold on. Let me find this because you know what, guys? You Okay, yes. You all need to hear this. <clears throat> so uh, just for a slight little bit of background knowledge, Orwell was a democratic socialist, believed heavily in helping one another. Okay. What was remarkable in Orwell was not his political position, which was common enough but that he demanded publicly that his own side should live up to their principles, both in their lives and in their policies, should respect the liberty of others and tell the truth. Oh, all right. All right, Bernard, take me on this journey with you. Um, This is, so it's written, like, it is written chronologically. It's a biography. It Mm -hmm. goes from, like, when George Orwell was a boy. He was, he wasn't born in England. He was born in, um, in Burma, I think, or in India. Um, And he was, like, he grew up there a little bit and then he moved to England and he went to a public school. So, like, I know the, the kind of basics of his biography, but Mm -hmm. it's going to be so cool to, like, really get to, get to dig in. Yeah, and it has um, it has photos. You know, it has like some in the middle. It has glossy pages. (laughs) Yes, love it. I love it. (laughs) Love it when the middle has the glossy pages. Um, but yeah, it's exciting too because in the in the like table of contents, it says that chapter um eight is called Bookshop Days because George Orwell worked in a bookshop. So I'm very excited to read it. But uh, he has an essay about. A book about working in bookshops which is one of my favorite essays by him so i'm very excited to hear that i'm just excited about it all raylene i'm so excited i'm, I'm just so happy so for you <laughs> <laughs> thanks man i it feels right you know i was up late into the night highlighting away it with my new highlighter just yes. feeling good about life and loving orwell and loving thinking deeply about orwell and that's great. Just, just drop good. every other book and read that that's what yeah. you need to do right now i agree i think that's what i need to do um Well, that's lovely. Okay, we (laughs) talked about what we've read. We talked about what we're reading. Have you bought any new books lately? 
I the last book I actually bought was this uh, Zadie Smith book, um, which the second it, I, it arrived, I started reading it. Yeah, um, actually, I did get a book. I'm seeing well, it now. It? It's on my up next to read shelf. <laughs> I got a copy of Rosemary's Baby by Ira Levin. Oh, finally. Really? It's a really hard book to find used. Like I, mm. I've been wanting to buy it, but the only copy I could find was the TV show cover and I didn't want to spend $20 on that. So no, instead that's I spent $4 on that. <laughs> <laughs> so I have it. <laughs> I still own it. It was just cheaper. Um, so yeah, I've been waiting years for that book. To come I'm into the used bookstore. It's about. not Rose, great. It's not great. Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, it's like an NBC TV show cover or something. But anyways, I'm really glad to finally have it. It's in great condition, the copy that I got. And I watched the movie for the first time uh, last year or the year before in October. And now I'm like, well, I got to read the book in October too. So. Oh, is the book cover like a girl looking down into a carriage? Mm hmm. Oh, okay, yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Right? It's, it's not the worst. It's, but it's not also worst. not the best. <laughs> but there is some pretty good covers. Like, the original cover of it is really freaking cool. Mm -hmm. It's red, but the building and the font is huge and diagonal. I like wow. old horror covers. They're very cool. Yeah. But yeah, so that's probably the most I've interesting. I think I've seen that movie, Rosemary. It's great. Rosemary's Baby. It's kind of older, right? It's like from the 80s or something? 70s? From the 60s, I think. 60s? <laughs> 60s <laughs> i think that's just my best guess yes i think i have seen this movie i think i remember it being good i don't really remember i think i watched it when i was pretty young actually oh yeah maybe i'm thinking of another movie have they redone it with meryl streep what am ah! I thinking of? <laughs> no <laughs> at least not that i know of that's funny i'm like this is definitely from 1968 oh, well it's <sighs> time for us to jump into book news i'm excited let's do some book okay. news okay all right Raylene I think that we've got some interesting book news here gathered today uh -huh. um I have two pieces of news one you and I kind of texted about actually um oh. but did you have some book news to start us off with yeah my book news is just about some book to movie adaptations that are coming oh, out I like that that's um, wonderful yeah it's on the cbc.ca and the article I have here is called <gasps> seven Raylene did you pick Rain. the same one? No. Or did I hate I the CBC? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to tell you something very, very, very important that I was going to tell you at the beginning of the episode. We'll bring it on. <laughs> I watched the Looking for Alaska adaptation. <gasps> How was it? The whole thing? I watched the whole thing over two days and I loved it. It was so good. It was so good. I was surprised. I, like, I haven't heard many people talking about it, honestly. Yeah. Which I thought meant, you know, maybe there isn't much to see there. The people that are watching it are just kind of keeping quiet about it because it was like, okay. Yeah, but I have I watched it and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was such a beautiful adaptation. I thought that the characters came completely to life. The castings were all perfect. They had more time to emphasize adult characters, mm. which was really cool because you got to know more about some of the teachers and some of the parents, which I really loved. You got to, just because it was it's an eight episode, hour long episodes, yeah. miniseries. So you have eight hours of content you really got to flesh out everything like you got to flesh out the crew the characters the story you got to see them hanging out and having fun and really understanding their bond you really got to understand alaska and her i actually thought that the series made me like sympathize and understand alaska more than the book did oh, genuinely um i thought that the person that they cast as pudge I forget his first name. Christopher Plummer, I think is his name. Is that his name? Um, he was perfect. Just perfect. He was, like, just beautiful. Um, did a perfect job. And and I will say that I did cry. I did cry. <gasps> oh, man. Which I feel is perfect. That means that it hit me. Because yeah. there's... Oh, Charlie Plum Plummer. Sorry. Christopher Plummer is an old actor. <laughs> I was um, like, I feel like I might know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely know him. Christopher Plummer is, is... I think he's Canadian, too. Christopher... Yeah, Christopher Plummer is Canadian. He, uh... It says, according to Wikipedia, has a career spanning seven decades. So... <laughs> a beloved actor, Christopher yeah. Plummer. <laughs> um, Charlie Plummer has a career spanning two years. <laughs> yeah, he... <laughs> It's a bit different. <laughs> um, no, but I really loved it. I super recommend it. If you're in Canada 
it is on CBC Gem, which right. I now pay for because <laughs> because I couldn't stand watching the ads. Oh, I agree. While I was watching the show, and actually, I'm not. I swear to God, I'm not. We're not being sponsored, but it was a really good deal because it was like just pay for premium and you don't have to watch these ads. And I was like, fine, fuck, I'll pay for. And so I <laughs> click on it, and it had a 30 day trial, which Whoa. is really some of these places like Disney Plus. I think only had like a one week trial. So it's yeah. a 30 day trial. And then afterwards, it's only $4.99. Oh, that's super month. affordable. So the whole thing is very affordable and it worked very well. I got the app and I'm very happy. <laughs> and wow. so I watched all of Looking for Alaska. I really loved it. I, th- I think it's, it's fantastic TV. And um, I started Normal People. I only got through half of the first episode, though, so I'm not going to report anything about it. Good. <laughs> but I thought that was a, a fun update for you. That is and, super fun. Uh, yeah, people should definitely check it out, especially if they like the book. Um, okay. Now you can go on to your news. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so, yes, the article on cbc.ca is called Seven Book to Screen Adaptations to Watch For at the Toronto International Film Festival. Cool. Which apparently they're doing physical and digital screenings of, oh, which God. is like, really? Okay. Can't it just be digital? Can't yeah, it just on, be digital now? <laughs> I don't know how that's going to look. That sounds like too many people getting together just to watch movies, but that's besides the point. There are some interesting... <laughs> books here i love it when raylene is scathing <laughs> sometimes this little dark side comes out <laughs> it's just my scorpio nature what can i say uh, okay so there are seven movies i'll just quickly go over all of them because i feel like they're all worth mentioning so there's this movie called concrete cowboy which stars idris elba and caleb mclaughlin from stranger things and Great name. they're cowboys yeah and i'm just concrete. like concrete cowboys is wow that's, that yeah. sounds like a band <laughs> yeah i know right it's based on a novel that came out in 2011 called ghetto cowboy by greg mm. neri so that's one i've never heard of but you know great cast so i'm sure it'll be a great movie i um, think i like the name concrete cowboy more because yeah. of two things one the alliteration i'm a huge fan of alliteration. who isn't it's but nice. secondly it's it kind of it's it has kind of that um What's the word? The word, it's a uh, dissonance. Like the two things don't really go together. Concrete mm. didn't exist in cowboy That's true. time. So That's it true. makes me question like what's going on there. Yeah, it's a very um. interesting title. Well, the next movie is actually a documentary film and it's um, Inconvenient Indian, which is based on the what? book by Thomas King. Yeah. Wait, that's a movie? Yeah, it's a documentary film that's going to be premiering oh, at, uh, okay, at the well, festival. You know what? Already, this is the greatest book news we've ever done. Because this is all... Both of these I want to watch already. Right? And next up is Nomadland, which is based on the book by the same name by Jessica Bruder. And it stars Frances McDormand, who is like... One oh, of the greatest actresses ever. I love her so much. So <laughs> yeah, um, really interested to see what that one. I think that one is yeah, it's a nonfiction book. That one. So it's a a movie based on a nonfiction book, which is cool. Next up is a movie called Penguin Bloom, which <laughs> is based on a nonfiction book that came out in 2016, which has the same title, and the author is an Australian author named Bradley Trevor Grieve, and it stars Naomi Watts and Andrew oh. Lincoln which is cool. And this one actually sounds really interesting. It's based on a true story um, of someone whose recovery from a tragic accident is helped when she and her family meet a stray magpie named Penguin. <laughs> and like the picture for the movie is Naomi Watts with this bird on her shoulder and she looks like she's in a dream. And it's just like, whoa, what is this? Uh, it looks very interesting. Next up is A Suitable Boy, which is based on the book by Vikram Seth, which came out in 1993. So it's an older book that is just finally being adapted Mm. um and oh actually this is a six-part drama series Um, oh wow okay yeah and it takes place in india that's all i really know about it it's about family and finding one's way in the world um next up is called summer of 85 which apparently is based on a 1982 ya novel called dance on my grave so i've never (laughs) heard of that That's something I've never heard of. There's a lot going on right there. Yeah, it's set in the 80s, obviously. It came out in 82, so that makes sense. Uh, And it's about two teenage boys on the Normandy coast. It's a coming-of-age tale, which sounds like my kind of jam, honestly. Sounds great. And then the last one that is being highlighted here is also super exciting. It's called Trickster 
And it's based on Son of a Trickster by Eden Robinson, who is another First Nations author actually from BC. Um, my friend's grandma is friends with this lady. But um, what? yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> but this is one that it's a supernatural thriller series that follows an indigenous teen named Jared who struggles to keep his family afloat when a stranger named Wade ruptures the balance. That's the synopsis for the show. So this one's actually a, a series. And it's a CBC, CBC series. So we should be able to watch it on a CBC on Gem. Gem. Available now on yeah. CBC Gem. CBC Gem. <laughs> so yeah, that seems super interesting. That's a book I've been wanting to read for a while. Um, so I thought it was super huh. cool that all those things are now being made into movies slash TV shows. Yes, that was great book news. Thank I you. I really enjoyed that. That was really interesting. Also, um... Interesting, because usually when I hear about book-to-movie adaptations, it's all YA. Yeah, like, this is a nice okay, mix. Great. This is, a, yeah, this is a cool There's mix. There's nonfiction books, old books. <laughs> I think I'm most excited about an inconvenient, or, oh no, they've renamed it for, they've, actually, again, I like this title more than the book, because the book is either called An Inconvenient Indian or The Inconvenient Indian, the, yeah. and I can never remember. The movie is just called inconvenient indian mm -hmm. again with the alliteration <laughs> yep it's nice <laughs> i think i'm most excited about that one it's a book that i've had on my shelves for for a while i should really pick it up soon yeah um, i agree with that it would be great to read it before watching the movie or mm -hmm. the documentary that's really exciting well i have two pieces of book news okay um one is actually books unbound news <laughs> so i had this idea for a podcast <laughs> where i talk about book history um where i talk where i like dive into different aspects of book history whether it's um the way that books are made or like weird things you didn't know about books stuff like that and it would be like short episodes like 15 minute episodes where i just mm -hmm. like dive into i thought it'd be really cool and then i was like ariel First of all, you already have too much work on your plate. Secondly, <laughs> you already have a podcast where that would be perfect. Mm -hmm. I was like, if I made one of these episodes per month for Books Unbound, that would be really cool. And so I was like, I would love to do that if it was being supported. So we have a new Patreon goal for our dust jackets. It is to reach $1,500. If we reach $1,500, I will start doing a monthly episode. So that means we'll be getting a new monthly episode. Every month, I will do an episode of, of an extra episode of the podcast where I jump into, dive into doing these weird histories. So the first one that I, I'm going to do, Raylene, I'm so freaking hyped. Uh, like, okay, I went down a rabbit hole. Let me quickly explain. Okay. <laughs> I decided to make myself a stamp for my books. I wanted a stamp that would I could like stamp at the first page of every book being like, this book belongs to Ariel Bissette. You know, like that kind of yeah, stamp. Yeah. So I started looking into like beautiful designs. And like, let me tell you, Etsy has got you covered. They're so beautiful and like, they're, they're just gorgeous. And I found out that instead of like writing this book belongs to or property of or from the library of, it has a term. Ex libris. Mm -hmm. Ex libris means from the library of, basically, in Latin. And I was like, whoa, this is so cool. So then I started reading about ex libris. And it mm -hmm. was telling me that this is like book, pl what book plates would use. Like people would have very unique book plates, stamps that they would use in their books um, long ago that had like an insignia. Like it would have like a coat of arms mm -hmm. or um, um, imagery of something that you like had to do with you. So I was like, well, this was really cool. So then I found myself on a Wikipedia rabbit hole. And basically it was telling me that book plates came after book rhymes. And I was like, what the hell is a book rhyme? <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm reading about book rhymes. And book rhymes were these things that people would write in their books before book plates existed or before Ex Libris really existed. And they would write a little rhyme that was like, this book belongs to John if you steal it you're the worst but it would rhyme <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of like a way of um putting that your name on it so that people wouldn't steal it and i was mm -hmm. like well this is amazing and then it said book rhymes came after book curses and i was like <laughs> oh a pardon God. and so i started reading about book curses 
And they're this amazing thing that happened for hundreds of years where, um, cause you like back then scribes were the only ones that would write books, yeah. right? Cause it was so expensive and it was difficult to be educated enough to write. And so they would at the back, at the end of a book, sometimes at the beginning, usually at the back of the book, put a curse, put a curse on you if you <laughs> stole the book. And it was the only way to like ensure books because there was no anti-theft practices there was no book insurance there you know like so they would just put this curse that was like if you steal this book may god smite you and excommunicate you and you will not enter heaven and that kind of stuff which obviously back then really freaked people out and so i want to do a full episode going through the history of book curses and book rhymes and stuff really showing people like reading out some of these amazing book curses that i found Mm -hmm. um so that would be the first episode and i I genuinely would think it would be amazing so if we reach 1500 dollars on patreon that's what's gonna happen i think that's pretty cool yeah i think it's fun all right so that was my that was my books on bound news but our uh news from the from actual news okay (laughs) from the real world is um this very interesting article by becky albertalli let me break down the situation Mm. just in broad strokes here um becky albertalli author of many many books but most uh, famously, Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, which obviously was then made into a film called Love, Simon. I love this book. It's a great book. I read it a few years ago. Mm-hmm, it's so too. good. It's a great book. She's also written Lay on Offbeat, The Upside da- uh, the Upside of Unrequited, and other books that like she's like collaborated with Adam Silvera on stuff. It's very cool. She has a very cool career. One thing... Um, that apparently and you know i read that one book but i'm not like a massive becky albertalli fan so i I don't i haven't been following her career i really don't know about her online persona and presence but apparently she's been dealing with a lot of harassment and abuse and i'm in no way surprised um because the internet can be a very intense place about different uh, different things and so she's been dealing with a lot of abuse about people asking her if she's queer saying that that she has no right to write about queer characters if she isn't queer and i say queer um because kind of umbrella term because some of her books are about gay characters somewhere about bi characters so she's written about different um different queer representation um and so Here's what happened. On August 31st, she released an article on Medium called I Know I'm Late. And it will be, um, or it was, it will be, don't worry, it's coming out. I've, I've read it already. No, it, it is about her experience having to come out today, even though she doesn't want to come out, even though she doesn't feel like this is the, this isn't the moment she would pick to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's she's coming out because she feels that she's been forced to by people who constantly tell her that it's not okay for her to be writing queer stories if she's not queer. And here's a top highlight from the article, but labels change sometimes. Oh, this is also, I think, very important to the entire thing. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, she did an interview where she said she was straight. Like... This was many years ago. Mm -hmm. I forget what year it was. But that is, I think that is important context for people. She is married to a a man and and she said that she was straight. So I think people like really just buckled down on that. Even though she then didn't talk about it for years. Yeah. Etc. Anyway, so yeah, here's a highlighted quote. Uh, Labels change sometimes. That's what everyone says, always says, right? It's okay if you're not out. It's okay if you're not ready. It's okay if you don't fully understand your identity yet. There's no time limit, no age limit, no one right way to be queer. And yet a whole lot of these very same people seem to know with absolute certainty that I was allo-cis-het. And the less certain I was, the more emphatically strangers felt the need to declare it. Apparently, it was obvious from my writing. Simon's fine, but it was clearly written by a het. You can just tell. Her books aren't really for queer people. And then this is, like, for me, 
the moment that really hit me the hardest in the article. She says, you know what's a mindfuck? Questioning your sexual identity in your 30s when every self-appointed literary expert on Twitter has to share their hot take on the matter. Imagine hundreds of people claiming to know every nuance of your sexuality just from reading your novels. Imagine trying to make a, sp a space for your own uncertainty. Imagine if you had a Greek chorus of internet strangers propping up your imposter syndrome at every stage of the process. Yikes. She then, so I think that was really powerful. Yeah. She talks then about how she is in no way saying don't use own voices. Like she's very clear because she says, I believe in the vital importance of own voice stories. Most of the identities represented in my books are own voices. Um, consider the, or yeah, she then talks about the origin and how it is important and it has helped lots of people. She's not saying like, don't use this, but she says, um, so why do we keep doing this? Why do we again and again cross the line between critiquing books and making assumptions about authors' identities? How are we so aware of invisible marginalization as a hypothetical concept, but so utterly incapable of making space for it in our community? And find the final thing I'll quote is here. Let me be perfectly clear. This isn't how I wanted to come out. This doesn't feel good or empowering or even particularly safe. Honestly, I'm doing this because I've been scrutinized, subtweeted, mocked, lectured, and invalidated just about every single day for years. And she says earlier, like since her book came out, mm -hmm. and I'm exhausted. And if you think I'm the only closeted or semi-closeted queer author feeling this pressure, you haven't been paying attention. Oh, that's shit. really good. Yeah. If people act like they know everything about people, but you just oh. don't. <laughs> you just don't. Um, and she goes on to say, she says, like, I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm financially independent. She, you know, she she acknowledges her privilege and that she, this isn't going to like ruin her life having to come out. Um, but it could for other people. And there's a reason why people don't talk about it. There's a reason um, why some authors don't feel that they can talk about it. And um, so this has started a really interesting conversation about own voices, about the concept of own voices. And I think sometimes we talk about own voices like it's like a, it's a tried and tested thing. You know, it's um, not always been a thing. So I should explain. My dog just walked into my room <laughs> and I didn't see the dog, but I did see the door open. Oh God. And it was so And he's a ghost. <laughs> Old Voices is a newer concept. It's um, an idea started, let's get this right, by Corinne Duivis as a hashtag, as a way to um, be able to highlight when a character sh shares the same identity as the author who is writing the character. Mm -hmm. And obviously, this can sometimes be very powerful and very useful and um, be a way, it's, it's really, it's a publishing tool to make sure that there are people who have a certain identity because it, it's just so broad, right? It could mm -hmm. be your religious affiliation. It could be your racial identity. It could be your sexual identity. It could be your, if you're disabled or not. Um, there's so many different things that go, that go along with it, but um, it's a way for publishing to be like, wait, are we only publishing, like, for example, white authors talking about uh, marginalized characters when we could also be publishing marginalized right. authors? Which, of course, is valuable. Them. You know, to super valuable. That's really valuable. The problem is when it becomes a tool for, I think, for readers to start. Um, judging the quality of the book. This is the, and this is for me the the big. I mean, to use Becky Albertalli's term, mind fuck. <laughs> yeah. And the thing that I don't understand at all is when people equate own voices to quality. I yeah. don't actually see the relation. I see the tool. I see the function, and I think it's great when I when I know that you know, like this person went through this experience. That's powerful. But just because Becky Albertalli, like, say, for example, that Becky Albertalli was straight, it doesn't mean she can't write a great book about being gay. Mm -hmm. She can, and she did, right? And it turns out that she isn't straight, right? Yeah. But I think that the bigger point is even if she hadn't been queer, like, even if she hadn't been part of this community... I think she still could have written a great book as a straight person. 
absolutely because people are one able to do research two, talk to people who are part of the community and you know like it's still possible (laughs) i don't i don't agree with like cutting people off from writing something just because they don't fully identify with that i don't know that just yes i think i i agree and i think it it does a real disservice to the concept of fiction yeah (laughs) right like Fiction is the ability for anyone to write about anything. And for someone who maybe is closeted, they're able to write about not being closeted, right? Or it's it allows you to imagine different lives and different perspectives and different characters. Um, and I think starting to cordon off, like, you can only write about this if you are this. I think that's really sad. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what art is. Um, and I think we need a mix, right? Yeah. What we need is a mix. We need both. We need a balance. But I don't think that you should be picking up a book and thinking, oh, is this own voices? No, it's not. So then it's probably not good. Whoa. Yeah, because like <laughs> y- you have no idea what kind of journey the author went through to write that book. You don't know you are, exactly what kind of information they gathered, what kind of people they interacted with in order to make sure totally. the representation was correct. Like obviously some people misrepresent lots of groups of people, but other authors are very careful and yes. make the effort to make sure they're representing people correctly. And I think 100%. that that's like, don't just cut yourself off from reading that because you don't know. <laughs> yes, 100%. And I, I often think about like, I haven't gone through, um, for example, OCD. I don't have OCD. I don't know what having OCD is like. But there have been people in my life that are very close to me that have suffered with OCD. And I have been their main point of support for my entire life. Mm. So I actually would feel like I could write a story about OCD because of the experiences I've gone through trying to help someone with OCD, right? And I could do more research about it, et cetera, et cetera, write a story. But I wouldn't then want to out the person near my life that has OCD. I wouldn't want people to be like, well, how qualified are you to write about this? And I'm not going to be like, uh, yeah, I am because this person, like, I'm not going to tell you who, but, and so I don't feel like you have to always justify it in that, prove that you're valid in getting to write that type of story. I think the proof is in the pudding. Like, (laughs) if you read the book and it helps you, or you read the book and it's good, that's what matters most. Um, but that being said, also making sure that we're doing both and that publishing is balancing publishing um more marginalized groups of people who can tell their own stories absolutely um yeah so i just thought this was a really interesting story i then then there was a development that just really frustrated me and it made the story a lot bigger because gabby dunn who's a youtuber and is also an author it turns out i didn't know she'd published a book she's published a fiction like a ya book about um actually i have no idea what it, I, th- I think it's a contemporary ya book she gabby dunn is has been openly bisexual for a very long time that's kind of like what her youtube content was largely about mm-hmm. and she tweeted a stream of things that really made me very angry <laughs> <laughs> like for example she tweeted I just don't think you're the victim when you put yourself into queer spaces, center yourself as a creator in that space, and then get weepy about having to explain that. No one is obligated to come out, but no one is forcing you to write queer stories while closeted. If your own queerness makes you uncomfortable, how can you, and more importantly, why would you, want to spotlight that on yourself and center your work in queer spaces? I think that this is such a narrow view of what it is to be part of the lgbt plus community Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean like just because you aren't actively out or make content about being out doesn't mean you're not part of that community and i think here i'm gonna go on a bit of a theory raylene okay i think social media has made people forget that some people have private lives (laughs) yeah seriously it's like not everything has to be out for the world yes, to see yes exactly i think that some people especially people who have grown up online and who think that it's like they want to post everything online 
they think that that's like the way to be that everything should be public but i really don't think that way like as i grew up online and i don't think that way right like there are certain i never talk about being bisexual it's just never a part of my content i'm mm-hmm. bisexual i've been bisexual for a very long time and it just doesn't come up for me. I don't want to talk about yeah, it. It's right? not important to your content. It's not important to my content, to what I want to talk about. Maybe it'll show up in a novel. I don't know. But like, it's not something that I feel that I need to talk about. That doesn't mean that I don't think other people should talk about if they're bisexual. We're all just different people, right? But mm-hmm. like the way that Gabby Dunn words it here, if your own queerness makes you uncomfortable, I'm not uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm no, I'm bisexual and it's great. Whatever. I don't care, right? Like, it's just, I'm not uncomfortable. That doesn't mean that I'm not part of the community. It doesn't mean that I don't want to, like, that I'm, that I'm, like, um, hating myself or, yeah. like, don't want to ever write about it, right? And I think that this is a thing for a lot of different identities. Like, no matter what kind of identity we're talking about, religious. It could be religious. Like, Another example is the fact that I'm atheist. Mm-hmm. I never really talk about being atheist because I don't really want to talk about it, right? No, like I agree. it's just I'm not that interested in talking about being an atheist. Sometimes it comes up, sometimes it's interesting, sometimes I think it's important. But most of the time, it's just not something I talk about. But that doesn't mean that I'm not happy to be an atheist, yeah. not proud to be an atheist, right? Like it's just it's just just because you are something doesn't mean you have to be like public about it all of the time no, exactly so i think that this is a very interesting conversation i think that um a tool like own voices is very valuable but it is very new so we're we have to figure out the best ways to use it um and to figure out how to have it have the best positive impact mm-hmm. um and that's that book news. Well, thank you so much to everyone for listening to this episode. This was very fun. Great time. Great time with my pals. Of course. Um, thank you so much to the Dust Jackets, our Patreon community who supports the podcast and makes it possible. Today, I am going to be asking Raylene for books on Bucket, our Patreon-only special mini podcast. I'm going to be asking Raylene, if you could only own five books, what would those five books oh. be? Uh, an impossible <laughs> question, but one that should be asked. Jesus. So, okay. This has been Books Unbound with your hosts, me, Ariel, and Raylene. This episode was edited by CJ Bissett of northernsoundhouse.ca, and our community manager is Mars Grove. We will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.